From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Genetic resilience is a complex biopsychosocial phenomenon, and Upstate Medical University is fortunate to have a leading researcher in this area, and he has a talent for explaining things that are complicated. Dr. Stephen Glatt is director of the Psychiatric Genetic Epidemiology and Neurobiology Laboratory at Upstate, and he's here with me in the HealthLink on Air studio. Thank you for being here, Dr. Glatt. It's my pleasure. So is there a simple definition for genetic resilience? Well, I think the most simple definition is that some people are probably born with a propensity to be protected from disease that they've inherited from their parents. So is that sort of the opposite of being born with something that gives you a propensity to develop a disease? Absolutely. In the context of the disorders we study, which are mental illnesses like schizophrenia, autism, and bipolar disorder, we know that a lot of the risk is inherited. In fact, the majority of the risk is inherited. Now, that doesn't mean the environment doesn't play a part. It does. But we study that genetic risk very heavily, and we have found a lot of genes that put people at risk, genes they've inherited from their parents that put them at risk. And on the flip side, we're just scratching the surface of other genes that protect some people from those risks that they've inherited. So let's talk for a minute. What causes our genes to change from one generation to the next? Well, genes change very slowly in the population. Mutations occur, but a lot of times they're repaired. That's what our bodies do, and that's why we're not all severely mutated. We have DNA repair mechanisms. But sometimes subtle variations are introduced into our genomes through mutation, and they hang on because they don't cause something disastrous, and then they get passed on through the generations. But when you add them to other subtle mutations, then you get a bigger effect on an outcome that puts you at risk. And these mutations, if there are going to be some, are these taking place during fetal development? or And once we're born, our genome is set? Or are there changes that happen after? The, the mutations we're talking about generally are inherited mutations, which occur in the gametes, so the sperm or the egg, as they're being formed. But there's also the possibility that people can acquire mutations in their own lifetime. These are called somatic mutations. But the kind we're focused on are these inherited mutations. Okay. Well, tell us about the Resilience Project, because you've been involved in that for how long? Well, it's been about three or four years. And the origins of this are interesting in that we saw the writing on the wall when it comes to studying risk factors. There are so many people in our field of psychiatric genetics who are intent on identifying genes that put people at risk, and we're among that group. But we started to make so much progress, we thought, once we understand risk, what are we going to do with that? And I think we're one of the few groups that looked ahead and thought, if we can study people who are at very high genetic risk, what is protecting some of those people from that risk? Why, for example, is someone who's at a high genetic risk for schizophrenia not showing schizophrenia? And an obvious answer is, well, maybe there's things in their environment that protect them. But another answer, and, and as a geneticist, an answer that I've been interested in looking for is, maybe there are also other things in their genome that protect them, so that no matter how many mutations they acquire that put them at risk, these resilience factors in their genome actually can buffer that risk and keep them from getting sick. So we started that pursuit maybe four, four or five years ago, 
And it changed our whole vision about how we do our research. So now after slogging away, we showed that this principle actually works. We found some genes that protect against the risk for schizophrenia and published that paper last year. And then we applied for a grant from the National Institute of Aging to apply the same principle to Alzheimer's disease. And that's what we're working on now. As of September, we received this grant to study resilience to the risk for Alzheimer's disease. Let me ask you, though, on schizophrenia, are all cases of schizophrenia because of a genetic mutation? No. They're not. Okay. So the, the leading theory about the etiology or causes of schizophrenia is that it's not nature or nurture. It's both. It's almost always a case where you've inherited many mutations that increase your risk, but you also have some factors in your environment, usually stressors, that interact with that risk to make you sick. There are probably some very rare cases of schizophrenia that are caused only by genetic mutation, and there are probably some very rare cases that are only caused by environmental factors. But mostly it's almost always an interaction between nature and nurture. And so you've looked at people who have some of these mutations, but have some other mutations that sort of offset that risk. That's right. In fact, we've looked at people at the highest measurable genetic risk. Okay. These are people who don't have schizophrenia, but based on their genetics, you would guess that they would because they're at such elevated risk. They possess so many of the genetic risk factors. And do they have family members that have schizophrenia? Generally, too, they don't. Generally, oh. they don't. Interestingly, they've got all these mutations that put them at risk, but none of their family members are affected, nor are they affected. So we thought, well, what must be protecting them? And again, it could be they just have a, a good nurture, a good environment, but it might also be that they have some good genetics that protect them. How do you find these people? Like how would a person wouldn't necessarily know that they have the mutations for schizophrenia, right? Yes, so that's true. So this type of work is only possible by studying literally tens of thousands of people. And here at Upstate, we've studied thousands of people but on our own, that's not enough. So we joined an international consortium called the Psychiatric Genomics Consortium, which is the, one of the largest collaborative groups in the world. And we're proud at Upstate to be a part of this. We put our, our subjects together with subjects collected from Germany and China and South Africa and all over the world to come up with a good estimate of risk and then to find those people who have high risk but are resilient. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Glatt. He's a professor at Upstate and the director of the Psychiatric Genetic Epidemiology and Neurobiology Laboratory. And today we're talking about genetic resilience. Now, you mentioned um, that you just got a grant to sort of look at what you've looked at with schizophrenia, but this time with Alzheimer's disease. Tell, tell me about that. Well, I'm, I've not been... Uh, concentrated in my career on Alzheimer's disease, but my career has kind of hopscotched around from disorders of interest, starting with the study of schizophrenia. And then when my kids were being born, I started to study developmental disorders because I was interested in those disorders. And now that we're all getting older, I thought, let me focus on disorders of aging. But it's actually also true that this is a big societal interest because of the graying of the nation. And so there's a lot of funding available to study Alzheimer's disease. This has been identified uh, as a research priority um, in the community. So I said, let's try to apply this approach to Alzheimer's disease because it has known genetic risks, but also because there's a lot of potential for it to have a big impact. 
Well, we have uh, heard about the genes that, you know, lead to Alzheimer's, so to speak, but um, I had not heard that there was research looking into genes that maybe have a protectant, right? Yeah, and we think this is just our novel niche because very few groups are looking at the genetic factors that actually protect. Most people are trying to find those risk factors that put you at risk. And we're saying, we know enough about what puts you at risk. Now let's understand how people avoid that risk. So do you have a similar pool of patients that have, is it the APOE genes? We do. So APOE is the largest known risk factor for late onset Alzheimer's disease. And we're doing our study to focus on people who have the so-called risk variant of APOE. It's called APOE epsilon 4 allele. And this is a very strong risk factor for Alzheimer's disease. It doubles your chances of Alzheimer's disease. But there's plenty of people who have that allele and don't have Alzheimer's disease. Those people are really interesting for us to study. We feel like studying people who are at risk but don't develop the illness will give us just a different window into what causes illness, what's protective, how can we maybe intervene to foster resilience among people who are at risk so they don't develop the illness, and maybe also to develop better therapeutics. Does Alzheimer's, is it uh, thought of as being nature and nurture where there's, um, where it requires both? It's absolutely the case. Yeah, it's both. It's the combination of genes and environmental factors. Does it share anything with schizophrenia? Are there any similarities that you've seen between the two diseases? Uh, not much, honestly. I think when you, when you talk about psychiatric disorders such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and depression, they share a lot, not just in terms of the symptoms, but the genetics. And in fact, it's almost a truism that if you find a genetic risk factor for schizophrenia, it will also be found to be a risk factor for bipolar disorder and depression. That's, that's almost the nature of it these days. But the same is not true and does not extend between psychiatric disorders and neurologic disorders, like and neurodegenerative disorders, like Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease. There was a nice study published that looked at the so-called genetic sharing between all these sets of disorders. And psychiatric disorders just share a whole host of genes in common. It's almost like there's a set of genes that puts you at risk for a psychiatric disorder, and then there's another set of genes that puts you at risk for a neurodegenerative disorder. So there isn't a lot in common between them. So I understand you've done some work on um, genetic resilience having to do with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder? Yeah, that's true. I think actually back to the origins of my research on resilience probably did start with PTSD because when I was in San Diego before coming back to upstate New York, we had access to U.S. Marines who were getting ready to deploy, back then it was to Iraq and Afghanistan. And we studied these guys in the desert while they were training to be deployed. So we had kind of pre-deployment profiles of these guys. And of course, they go away to very traumatic combat environments. They come back and maybe 20% of them have PTSD, but 80% don't. And certainly that's an interesting contrast to study resilience because they've all been exposed to the same environmental traumas, essentially. But what protects some people from developing PTSD in the face of that trauma? What we found was really interesting in that the guys who go on to develop PTSD before they went away actually had a heightened immune and inflammatory gene expression signature in their peripheral blood. And so I think if you have lower activation of those genes at baseline, that may be a protective factor against environmental trauma and the cause of PTSD. Interesting. 
Do you think that uh, one day in the future we're going to have our genome sequenced at birth and then have a, a map, so to speak, of what diseases to sort of look out for? I do. Looking long term, I don't know when that will be reduced to practice, but I envision a time where every child born, we know their genome from the start. And that gives us a map to their strengths and their vulnerabilities, but also gives us a window to follow kids throughout their whole development and their lifetime so we can understand how genes uh, relate to developmental trajectories. Are there ideas for how to identify people who lack this a particular resiliency, say to schizophrenia or Alzheimer's, and then be able to intervene to fix that or prevent the development? Not yet, way? but we're taking a long view on this in that if we can identify genetic resilience factors, then there's also going to be a pool of individuals who have very high genetic risk and don't have any resilience factors that become affected with illness. But on the flip side, there may be cases that are at very low genetic risk and they end up with the illness anyway. And those are people whom we need to study very intensively with regard to their environment because their risk but also their resilience may be more dependent on the environmental factors. So there are a range of risk factors out there and in any one individual, their personal etiology could be more or less genetic, more or less environmental. Well, this is fascinating work. Thank you so much to Professor Stephen Glatt from Upstate Psychiatric Genetic Epidemiology and Neurobiology Laboratory. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.